you tonight is a sort of compilation of music and the recording that I did over the summer with the Library of Congress Hispanic Division um, over in Washington, D.C. So I hope you enjoy the show and uh, give me a call. I'm in the studio tonight. Um, our phone number is 408-260-2999 or 831-480-1999. And a really quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed on this program or on the station do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of the staff and management at KKUP. All right, here we go. Here's some music and poetry. Nos dices que debemos sentarnos, pero las ideas solo pueden levantarnos, caminar, recorrer, no rendirse ni retroceder, ver, aprender como esponja absorbe, nadie sobre todos, faltan todos, suman todos para todos, todo para nosotros, soñamos en grande que se pega el imperio, lo gritamos algo, no queda más remedio. Esto no es utopía, es alegre rebeldía del baile de los que sobran de la danza que viene mía. Levantarnos para decir ya vas, ni África ni América Latina se suba. Un barro con casco con lápiz a patear el fiasco, provocar un social terremoto en este charco. Somos este sur y juntos 
Good afternoon. I'm Catalina Gomez from the Library of Congress Hispanic Division, and we are here today with uh, Rochelle Escamilla from Hollister, California, who mm -hmm. is going to read her poetry for the Archive of Hispanic Literature on tape. Today is July 12th of 2018. Rochelle, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm really happy to be here. <laughs> We're thrilled to have you. <laughs> and so to begin, if you could um, talk to us a little bit about your trajectory, your, you introduce yourself, how you came to poetry. Mm -hmm. um, well, um, I was born and raised in Hollister, California in San Benito County. Uh, my grandfather stopped in San Benito County uh, because he was part of the Bracero program and he stopped there because he could work for 10 months out of the year uh, picking and then also working in the cannery. And I guess the way that I came to poetry is through family because we always had story. There were always stories being told in one way or another. And later on, when I went to school and I had a professor, Alan Saldovsky at San Jose State, and he said, "You're a poet. You have a great ear for poetry." And I realize now that a lot of the mistakes in language that my family made from trying to translate between Spanish and English and a lot of the mispronunciations and the stories and all of that sort of stuff around language that started when I was very young just left such an impression with me. And so I thought, well, why not poetry? <laughs> and so that's where I am. That's great. <laughs> So that's, yeah, sometimes that's all it takes just to, someone to tell you what they see in you, right? And yeah. Then, yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. great. Yeah. And I feel like, I feel like, I mean, I don't, I don't want to speak for my whole family. I have a big family. <laughs> but I do feel like it's kind of my responsibility having the knowledge and access to education and so on. It's my responsibility to uncover the stories of my family and to continue to tell them. Because if I don't tell them, we, they won't be told. Right. So that's, so that's me. Um, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> sure. So we, um, we can start the reading. Um, and uh, as, as I explained earlier, just, you know, Go just, ahead. just uh, do read in any order that you, you would like. Take it away, in other yes. words. Take it away. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to read from my first book, which was published by Willow Books. And um, Willow Books is the literary division of Aquarius Press, and Willow Books is the only national poetry, I mean, the only national publisher that focuses on writers of color exclusively in order to increase our numbers in the publishing world. Um, and I won the prize for this book while I was living in China teaching at, um, at Sun Yat-sen University in Guangzhou. I was teaching poetry to English majors in China. And so I won the prize while I was in China, and then I returned to the U.S. to publish the book and to start what is now, I guess, a poetry career. Yes. <laughs> so exciting. So, What's the title of the book again? So the book is called Imaginary Animal, and the title comes from a excerpt from Raul Zurita's book. Zurita, I should say. Yeah, that's Recorded my... for this archive. Yeah, yeah. yeah I know. Yes. I saw that. I saw that. Um, he said in, in his book, Purgatory, he said, Hoy laceamos este animal imaginario que correteaba por el color blanco. Mm -hmm. Today, we tie up this imaginary animal that ran freely through the color white. So I'll just, I'll start. Mm, the poems in this collection are made from memory, mine and my mother's. 
Place, San Benito County, the Central Coast, California, Pittsburgh, PA, and Guangzhou, China. And they're also from found language through Google searches in 2007 to 2010 of Bracero program, illegal, migrant worker, Mexicans, and Mexican-Americans. One. An extension of your arm or moments when need is greater than or equal to our involvement in the struggle. She tells you she has forgotten why she moved to Pittsburgh and when she is home, she watches workers careworn. She extends her arm out the window, her palm a platform for the flashing rows of produce. Give us your arm, they said, and like the artichoke, we pull away from the center. Our low-income homes are set below the turquoise water tower. She walks the dog trail below the main road. You watch her kick pebbles. She kicks pebbles. We watch them kick pebbles as they drag, drag feet and dream of wide, wide, wide tongues, finding shaved coconut inside melting paletas. Desde los tiempos de la revolución, la guitarra era el instrumento con el que se alegraban en sus ratos de entretenimiento nuestros hombres y mujeres que ahora son los héroes de nuestra historia. Miguel y Miguel llegó impactando con su estilo campirano, renaciendo en nosotros el gusto por esa música con la que se identifica nuestro querido México y que al escucharla te transporta y te hace sentir que estás aquí, en el rancho. Sí, señor. 
me enamoré de ti Cuando las cosas de este mundo no eran mías Ni las estrellas, ni las noches, ni los días Y de tanta pena hasta el sol se me apagó Llegaste tú y volví a vivir mi juventud a los cuarenta y en esos años otra vez la adolescencia y al confesar me traicionó la timidez. Llegaste tú y aquí por dentro tu belleza me torturaba Gracias a nuestro amigo Cera Ramírez del Grupo Laberinto por acompañarnos y a todo el público que está presente, muchísimas gracias. Y para la gente que está escuchando este disco, les enviamos un saludo especial desde aquí en el rancho. Otro de los grandes y grandes amigos de Miguel y Miguel, el señor José Ángel Edesma, el Coyote. ¡Ahí le va! She tells you how they carted them here, trucked them, she corrects herself, on the backs of flatbeds freshly deloused. She's forgotten why she moved to Pittsburgh, and when she's home, she watches workers, careworn, extends her arm out the car window, holding her palm a platform for the flashing rows of produce. The lump at the base of her neck reminds her of her grandmother, how pulling onion bulbs from black can make you feel so bad. She laughs when she dips, laughing again, thinking how rich Mexicans tell poor Mexicans that they look like camels with lumpy backs and mud fists. An extension of your arm or a decision made by the United States to allow us into our own land. The canneries in town toss the skins of tomatoes into the backs of large semi-truck haulers. To get to the WIC office, we walk under the slides, tasting acid at the back throat. We watch red stains spread into the thick of tan sweaters. Her mother tells her, pick up the pace. She knows the importance of preservation, of a sweater that lasts more than one season. She thinks of the cans of tomato sauce, the lids shiny in the trash, her mother's sopa, sopa de fideo. I'm going to stop really quickly there <laughs> and say that I'm really grateful to be here at the Library of Congress Hispanic Division. And um, I have made some really amazing discoveries about my grandfather and about my family while I'm here. Um, particularly, there was a story that Well, I always knew my grandfather worked very hard, Alejo Hernandez. He worked very hard to get health benefits for migrant workers in San Benito County after his son died of malnutrition, starvation. And um, right before I flew out here to D.C. to do this, my mom said, you know, your grandfather testified in front of Congress. And then she said, And I remember a woman coming to us and taking photos and writing a book. And I was like, what? Why didn't you tell me this before? So I, so I flew out to Washington, D.C., thinking I was going to 
read things for the courses I'm going to teach in the fall. But instead, it just kept nagging on me that my grandfather, my grandfather was here and that there was this book that existed in the world that we don't have a copy of because I don't even know if I should say this. <laughs> but somebody I know uh, didn't removed it from the local library where there was a copy of this book and, and, and disposed of it because he didn't want people to see the pictures of him in this book. And so this book that my mom remembers someone writing about them didn't exist. It was gone. <laughs> it was gone. Oh, my God. <laughs> It was gone. And so I said, well, if I'm going to find the book, this is where I'm going to find it. And uh, today is today is Thursday, and yesterday was Wednesday. And yesterday, I got a whole bunch of books with the help of everyone at the Library of Congress Hispanic Division. And I was in the reading room, and I see this book, and I'm just like, I think that's the book. Like, I can feel my heart racing. And then the book is called um, Small Hands, Big Hands. And it's a profile of seven migrant families. And I start oh, opening it. And I'm like, I don't recognize names. You know, first thing you go to the table of contents. Right. You're trying to find the names. Right. Don't recognize names. And then I'm, I remember, oh, mom said that she changed the names. But in my mom's memory, she remembers run, ma- running down the hill and having the woman taking pictures of them running down this hill. And so I said, well, I have that image in my head. And I start turning the pages. And suddenly I see farm workers working in the tomatoes with a box that says Hollister Canning Company. And I'm from Hollister, so I'm like, it's racing. (laughs) And then I turn the page again and nothing. And, you know, I'm like, oh, that that can't be it. That can't be it. So I go further and I see a picture of a young girl. And up in the corner of the photo, there's, there's a photo on the wall in the picture. Yeah. And it looks like my grandpa. Oh, no way. And I was like, oh, I think that's my Thea. And oh. so I start going through, and there's the, there's the picture of all of the Hernandez kids, seven of them at the time, running down the hill. And I can see my uncle, who, who took the book from the library. <laughs> I can see his teeth. He has very distinctive teeth when yeah. he was a child and his nose. And I'm like, oh, that's them. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, the fact that there are photos in the book too is just like yeah, incredible. Yeah, and then I and then I found my grandfather's testimony. Um, he testified on August eighth, nineteen sixty nine, in front of Congress, um, hoping to help establish what would later become the San Benito County Health Foundation. Wow! So. Thank you. It could not be a better story. It could not be a better Library of Congress story. Thank you. Thank you for sharing the story. And we're so happy that we have the book here. Um, Me too.
Consider for a moment the weight of the financial burden of such a heavy nose on a flat-faced people. We have mulled over the potential gains, hand-picked barrios containing short, coffee-colored, mud children. We have calculated the cost of, and cannot apologize for, Operation Wetback, circa 1954. Give us your arm, they said, and the braceros lined up at the border. She thinks deploy, like deloused boys, naked but a hat, hosed, like. She shakes her husband awake. You're going to be late. The largest quantity of artichokes produced for the world's consumption is from Castroville, California. The plants stand at attention beside Highway 1 their top-heavy blossoms dipping and swaying in the whoosh-whoosh of cars and the sandy, sandy wind. To pick an artichoke, one does not have to bend their back. Take a knife and palm the globe of the plant. Gloves are essential. Slice the stem about five inches from the base of the bulb. Slice at an angle. Don't bend with the wind or trace troughs in soil, or pull basalt tumors. No, leave the crystalline florets, the veiny brassicas. Do not break ground, but stretch until bark, stunned by abrupt growth, peels away into the silty clay. Mexican girls are less likely to leave the family. We're familiar with the comal, the kitchen, dancing. It makes us fearful, but fault line fractures can cause a ruckus with fathers and mothers. Watch the subduction, the foundation will crack. Lejos de su patria 
to KKUP Cupertino 91.5 FM here in the Bay Area and beyond the Bay at KKUP.org where we stream live all the time. Uh, this is Out of Our Minds Poetry Radio. Uh, I'm just going to play, uh, let you know the songs that were played in that first half of the show. Um, the first song was Somos Sur, Somos Sur, like Big Sur, but Sur, you know, uh, by Ana Tihu. Uh, the second song was by Miguel y Miguel, and the last one was Miguel y Miguel. The first song, I don't have the name for, but I'll find it and then get it to you at the end of the show. Um, the second song, the one that I just played, is Paso del Norte. And of course, I played some Selena. So here we go, back to the show. She tells you that she has forgotten why she moved to Pittsburgh to begin with. She has a general feeling of discomfort, a lack of cultural influence. She is having trouble accentuating the correct syllables when ordering enchiladas. She extends her arm out the moving car. You can see the indentation of the window bend into her upper arm. You know her hands are rough with calluses. You know she is, she is not tougher than she imagines. 
She opens her palms again to the passing field. The mountains scrape her fingertips. Um, so a lot of these are just memories of my, my mom and growing up in the fields. I, I didn't grow up in the fields. I, I grew up on farms yeah. while my family grew up in Campos. Yeah. Um, but I did pick apricots every summer, um, even as a child, we did. Whenever we were out of school, whenever there was no school, it was always pertinent that the children joined the family. Um, and I remember being in the apricot orchards with my cousin, and we were kids, so everyone was always working at the tablas. They were cutting apricots and laying them out to dry in the sun. Yeah. And it was, it was always good at the beginning of the harvest, but towards the end of the harvest, the boxes would start to smell. Mm. And there would, we called it apricot slush. It would like you'd have to grab the stuff from the bottom and it would just be really really fragrant and it's sometimes good but then eventually it would get bad very quickly ways and I remember my cousin taking a handful and sliding it down my back and down the back of my shirt <laughs> the apricot slush and I remember I think I was wearing a dress that day because my mom told me don't wear a dress you're not supposed to wear a dress and of course you know I'm kind of rebellious <laughs> so I did and I remember after that saying, like, I'm not going to wear a dress again because, you know, it kind of had a scoop or something. Like, it was some, somehow exposed more than, like, the boys' shirts were. Yeah, it was, right. I remember this. And so, uh, so I, I guess I, I should have learned then that dresses were too, <laughs> were too exposed <laughs> to work in the apricot orchards. <laughs> yeah, but we have to look good, you know? Right. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, so, so I remember that a lot. Um, I remember I remember watching families standing at the tablas just, you know, apricot after apricot laying them out in the sun and and for a long time in Hollister where I'm from there were nothing but apricot orchards. That's not true anymore. The apricot orchards are gone and there are houses now. Like suburbs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But well, I, it's a memory, right? Yeah. It's in your book. It is in my book. Um I'm going to read a couple more poems from the first section of this book and then when you say that the, so this, mm. these are your mom so this these are your mom's memories mm -hmm. so these are these were the poems that are about that they're you know from gathered from what she told you right yeah so the she told my you. memories and my mom's memories because we just grew up yeah telling stories yeah. um my mom remembers a lot of things about what happened, uh, particularly the poem about me rich Mexicans and poor Mexicans, because my mom <coughs> always said, like, there were members of our family that had married into ranch families, which were technically more rich than, than the farm workers, right? Because they were landowners versus mm. land workers. Yeah. And my mom remembers having people make fun of them. And they were the same people. We were the yeah. same people, but they were making fun of them because they were working in the fields while they were working either on the tractors or some in right. some other field. And I think, I think that sometimes you don't want to talk about those things because it shows a division within our culture, and we don't want to show that kind of weakness. But 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 it's there. But it's the truth. Oh, it's the truth. It's the truth. Yes. And. Um, you know, my grandmother, my, my grandfather Alejo Hernandez did a lot of work politically, but my grandmother Encarnacion, um, for whom my daughter is named after, uh, my grandmother raised 13 kids. Well, 10 because three died in infancy because of 
the struggles of migrant people, but she raised 10 children while my grandfather was both working and politicizing in the world. And I think that the, the unsaid struggle of women of color in our history is just, I think we should all just assume that if there was a man working to make things happen, then there was a woman behind him feeding him. Right. Because that's what grandma did. She made beans and tortillas. Right. And that's how we survived. And, and yeah, yeah. And my mom was a teen mother. My mom had me when she was 17. And and my mom decided at a very young age that well, when she had me, she decided that my story was not going to be the same as her story. And she used to take me to the library in Hollister every week. Wow. Every week. And that was like super important to her. And then I was enrolled in the Head Start program of Cal- in California, which um, is an amazing program in Head Start. I-, I truly believe that the reason why I am, you know, in academics and teaching and reading poetry and writing poetry and here at the Library of Congress is because my mom decided that my education would come first and that there were social programs all along the way to support that dream of hers. And of course I made right choices, good choices and luck and privilege, all of these things come into play. But if my mom hadn't made that choice and there wasn't social programs in place to make sure that a little brown girl didn't grow up in poverty again, then I wouldn't be where I am. Yeah, so. Ya está cerrada con tres candados y remachada a la puerta negra. Porque tú Pensar que estando encerrada Vas a dejar pronto de quererme Pero la puerta ni cien candados Van a poder a mí detenerme 
puerta negra se la cerraron Pero la puerta no es la culpable Que tú por dentro estés llorando read a couple more from Imaginary Animal. Um, this poem is about apricots and it, it tries to uh, make a connection between the body of a fruit and the body of a woman. One, position the lip of the knife below the navel. Two, pull the paring knife down the dress. Three, Slip the thumb and spread the flesh. Four, gut the belly, take the seed. Five, set them side by side to dry in the sun. Direct your attention to the artichoke plants, the ones that look like large scarecrow, dark against the shade of the mountain range. They look like people. Well, she corrects herself. They almost look like people. The grandmas smile outside the cannery with red pulp teeth and cigarettes hanging from dry lower lips. She tells you about that term. Ah, I should stop. This is gonna be the last poem I read from Imaginary Animal. She tells you about that term, wetback, how it means they cross the border at the river. She smiles when she says it. You know she loves the water. And the, the funny story about, well, that's kind of supposed to be sort of a twist. The funny story about wetback, that term, which is a derogatory term used against my people for many generations and started with the Bracero program. Um, it was, I didn't know that the term wet, wetback was a national, was a term that was being used on a national level. Um, what I've uncovered from the Library of Congress so far in my research is that I can get a lot of information about my grandfather's generation by searching the term wetback. And that's because, I know, it's, it's painful. It's painful to have to search wetback yeah. and illegal. Right. But those are the terms. Illegal aliens. Illegal aliens. Um, those are the terms that were put on the shoulders of my grandfather and his, and his compadres as they crossed to come and pick the food that would be eaten by the people who are using those terms against us. And uh, I don't remember the year. I, I believe it was the early 50s. I don't have my notes with me. But um, there were five articles published in the New York Times in the early 50s that used the derogatory term wetback on a national level to create the rhetoric that would be used to start the kind of race, hmm. the race differentiation or the dehumanization right. of Mexican migrants and, and Mexican workers. And I truly believe that that is, that those are the foundations for what we have happening today. Mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. And it's just, it's incredible to be here at the Library of Congress at this time in, in the United States history. It's incredible to be researching, to accidentally be researching my grandfather's story. Um, because, uh, you know, uh, he fought for the things that he fought for injustices that he believed, um, you know, were were holding his family and and the progress of our people down in America and 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 his fight and his struggle are the foundation of what is happening now the you know and the detention of of people and and the separation of families because even with the Bracero program it was a separation of family because it was the men had to come over right. and the families were left and even when the families were together, like my grandmother was here and she had all her children and my grandfather and them lived together, there was still a separation because my grandmother could never enjoy her children's upbringing. She could never enjoy life with her children. She had to work all the time. My grandfather could not enjoy the, the, the beauty of family all the time, the way we have the privilege of doing yeah. it. And I think... The beauty of family is something that is sacred and that children and parents are being separated purely because they are not, they don't have the right paperwork or the right term attached to their bodies is an atrocity that has foundations in the Bracero program and foundations in my grandfather's story. So. That's why we're deeply grateful that you're here with us. <laughs> Yeah. Also because of the time that we're going through, so... Yeah. Tú sabes que no quiero perderte Sabes que este amor es tan fuerte Era mi lo de los dos Esta noche volveré a tocarte Cuando la luna deje de mirarte Y me entregues todo tu cuerpo Entiende que yo sigo extrañándote A cada instante En todo momento Entiende que yo sigo extrañándote A cada instante Que te cuente no sale de mi mente Siempre presente Yo estoy pendiente A tus movimientos Buscando la oportunidad Veo que subes Instagram No te importa el que dirán, baby Con las fotos que tú subes Yo muriéndome Por ser el que te calienta En las noches Y te quiero ver Para resolver Dime dónde Por favor responde Contéstame Quiero para resolver Dime dónde, por favor responde Contéstame Entiende que yo sigo extrañándote A cada instante, en todo momento Entiende que yo sigo extrañándote A cada instante Que yo soy parte y que tú eres para mí. Se supo desde el primer día. Sentí que 
ya te conocía Sigo esperándote aquí Esperando por ti Se supo desde el primer día Sentí que ya te conocía Sabes que no quiero perderte, sabes que este amor es tan fuerte, era mi diablo lo de los dos, yeah, yeah. Es que esta noche volveré a tocarte, cuando la luna deje de mirarte, y me entregues todo a tu cuerpo. Entiende que yo sigo extrañándote a cada instante. Que yo sigo extrañándote a cada instante, en todo momento. Y te quiero. J. Bob and Man, Sky, rompiendo el bajo. Um, so I'm going to read from my second book, which will be out, which will be published by Willow Books, the same publisher. Um, it will come out on Cesar Chavez Day, 2019. Mm -hmm. And this book is very different from Imaginary Animal. Um, Imaginary Animal is really deep in the stories of my mother and my grandmother and the stories of my family. When I moved to University of Pittsburgh to go to graduate school, It was the first time in my life that I was not surrounded by family, and I had to find out who I was as a person by myself. Mm. Uh, I was also diagnosed with, um, well, I'll just read the excerpt. Um, well, no, I'll say it. I was diagnosed with um, a couple of poverty-related illnesses that uh, the doctors thought I may have had since I was a child. Um, and because my whole life we grew up not very, not with without lots of privileges. I had never had decent health insurance. So when I went to Pitt for graduate school, they had very good health insurance. And for the first time, I could get diagnosed. Right. And so it was such a surprise. And for the first year in graduate school, I was struggling with um, thinking about family and thinking about poverty and thinking about the diagnoses that I was getting. And dealing with new medications and having nobody but hmm. but one friend um, and lover. I will say that. It's a little salacious. So my second book is called Me Drawing a Picture of Men. It's a collection of poems set in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania during the 2008 election. The poems speak to various, usually white, male figures throughout time from the perspective of a Chicana who has just been diagnosed with a number of poverty-related illnesses. So I'll begin. In the fall, the hills are. Two times a day, I pass the apartment on Bayard and rub my body against the Obama poster. Obama, Biden, Bayard, banana muffins, Pittsburgh mornings. Has it been more than 40 days? Do you remember her body in your hands? Her hard hands that are dull brown calloused. Can you take it? You've never had hands like hers. They taste like onions and can grip tomatoes. They peel like onions burnt almond body. 
I'm beneath you, remember? I'm soft now. Watch me touch these bodies. Look, I'm soft now. Softest when I touch meters. When they put the long video recording device into my vagina, they did not ask if it hurt or not. Is that odd? They flipped the switch and pushed their hands down my belly and I winced so quietly. I winced and it was so loud that they stopped but did not ask anything. There was a screen and it was green. There was a screen and it was, it made me wince to see my insides out here in the open reality TV. Look, you're 20 something years old and you have your insides out here in the open. I lift my top above my to make the scene complete. the door I did everything you asked of me but you took my love for granted now you're begging me not to leave soon as I stick to get to mama I know now that I must have been crazy if I once told you that I loved you and that I give the world to hold you Oh, now you know me now, cause I made a honey 
Listening to KKUP Cupertino 91.5 FM here in the Bay Area and beyond the Bay at KKUP.org, where we stream live all the time. This is Out of Our Minds Poetry Radio with me, Rochelle Escamilla. Uh, thanks for listening tonight. I have a little bit left of the show and then uh, some music, and then Joe's going to be here, but I wanted to do a quick callback and let you know the songs that I played throughout the night. Uh, so we have uh, La Puerta Negra by Los Tigres del Norte, uh, Sigo Extrañandote by. Um, J. Belvin, and then Siona Ves, which is a cover of Selena by Play and Skills. And then at the end of the night, uh, I'm, I'll be playing Flores by Los Fabulosos Cadillacs. Um, just a quick reminder to everybody, uh, KKUP Cupertino 91.5 FM is non-commercial radio staffed completely by volunteers and supported 100% by our listeners. We have provided an alternate source for music and information not readily available on other stations for over 40 years. By maintaining a separation from corporate backing, underwriting, or any other source of funding that might place demands on our programming, we're free to entertain and educate the listening community in a unique way. Every day, we offer music ranging from comical to classical, reggae to barbershop, new age to oldies, and not to mention your poetry radio show, which happens the first two or three Wednesdays of the month. If you find this station worth supporting, please become a member. You can do that online or you can give me a call here in the studio. The phone number is 408-260-2999 or 831-480-1999. All right, back to the show. I'll be back in October. Uh, Have a good rest of your September. I don't know if that's okay to record. (laughs) It's poetry. It is poetry. (laughs) Uh, Thank you. It's, you know, the book is not... It's diving into what it's like to be a woman, yeah. to explore the body. And and especially as a Latina woman, a Chicana woman, we don't talk about the body in our family, in our right. culture. It's no, very Catholic. Don't. Yeah. It's very Catholic. Right. Even if we're not Catholic anymore or whatever. The cultures that derive from. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so the exploration of the body is so new. Right. It's very taboo. Oh, super taboo. <laughs> Like, I, I'm, as I'm recording this, I'm thinking, I'm not going to let my mom re- listen to it. <laughs> and my mom will be like, why, mija? <laughs> yeah. Um, other, yeah, other barriers that we need to... Yes, yeah. there are multiple barriers. It's not only just um, the, the stories of us in the field, it's also the stories of us in our own bodies. Yeah. I only have a couple more poems to read, um, so I'll keep going. When you found me on the bed, I was sprawled. You said my legs looked like they did the day we sat at Panther Pond and mosquitoes ate all of me. When you found me here in my bed, 
you found me and felt my forehead, and here it goes again. When they put the heavy metal plastic covered vest on my chest to take an x-ray, I thought of you. I laughed when she said, hold still, the way I wriggle beneath your body. We have had a lot of good days. Today might have been a good day. The park is so far gone now. Gray, gray sky, gray, gray low, gray sky. They found a cyst today. I thought of you. They found another cyst. The old ones are still. They found a cyst today. I thought of you the way you looked. I looked at you from a yellow cab, your cap bopping on Bomb Boulevard. They found a cyst today and it was round and bobbing on the monitor. It leaned on my ovary like your head on my shoulder. I swing the creaking swing in Shenley Park and watch UPMC in the foreground with a gloved hand on my belly. Do you have family here? No. Can someone pick you up from the hospital? I can walk. Do you have friends? One. Can he pick you up? Not today. They found a cyst today and I laughed as I walked into the Saturday morning sun in winter cold air caught in throat and I am tickled. They found a cyst today sitting on, resting on, drooping on. I thought of you. My, 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 my mister. I thought of you when they found a cyst and snapped a bracelet on my wrist. You say, you look naked. I say, my dear, say, my dear, say, my dear. When you stop in my apartment, I offer you food. You say, I'm okay. I say, stay, stay. I say, stay. When you walk up my, my stairs, I say, stay, good man, stay. Place your fingers here. You lay in my bed. I turn around on top of you. I turn and curl into your arms. I rest my thighs to keep the pulse of my working body from bursting. And I'll finish with this poem. I walked to Shenley Park today. The weather was yes, okay. One footfall and then the next. I heard your ping, looked down to see a text. Rough days and the sky beyond the conservatory was cornflower, cornflower, cornflower. Blue behind white, cornflower glass. Tiny pelicans, sorry, like tiny pelicans, the soft-edged crosses of the conservatory roof sang. No, they echoed your ping, your soft ping, soft ping, between cornflower ping. We are a pelican song. We are a soft whistle. We are nothing, really. Wow. The end. <laughs> Just outstanding. Wow. Well, thank you, Rochelle, so much. This was such an honor, and I can't wait for your second book to come out. Thank you, Catalina. And we'll, we'll have to get that as soon as it comes out yes. for our collections. <laughs> you said it's going to be for the same publisher, right? Yes, it's yes. the same publisher, Willow Books. Willow Books has been wonderful. really wonderful to me, so I'm excited. Yes. Thank um, you so much for being here yeah. and for recording for, for this archive. Thank you. Thank you for having me.